and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay, a queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Wow, here we are at Cat's Cradle. This episode has the creepy mask maker in the woods and a ton of family drama. Melissa Hastings is back and acting like a shady lady. Toby has mommy issues that are making him impossible to deal with. Hannah's mom is on the Rosewood PD's murder board. Pam is in trouble with DFS. And Ella might move to a castle in Austria with Zach. Ugh. Uh, also, daddies are a big theme this week. Caleb cooked a fish with Uncle Daddy, and so now he's so fond of fathers that he goes to Tom Marin to tell him what Ashley and Hannah need is a manly patriarch to see them through this murder investigation. Ugh. And Wayne Fields is going to have to come on home to settle this accusation of child abuse that has been leveled at Pam. The liars might actually do better at this point if their parents all moved to a dysfunctional commune together and left them to their own devices. Yeah, it's it's very possible. It's kind of annoying. You know, all of the liars get drama with their moms, except for Spencer, who gets drama with Toby's mom, who is dead. <laughs> um, but this episode is interesting because it's, I feel like it's at once very wacky and campy in some parts, but also really uh, feels more serious in some ways than a lot of PLL episodes. Um, and dark, like, and sort of sad, like it's, and maybe some of that is because Hannah, who's usually kind of the comedic relief is in a really dark place right now. But, um, yeah, this is a, yeah, this is kind of a depressing episode, I feel. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. And it's also a very, like, the liars are really in emotional silos here, it feels like. Like, we talked in the last episode about how uh, they're not really having conversations. They're having like individual monologues about what's going on in their plots. And that sort of continues this week. And it, it results in it feeling like Hannah is not getting a ton of support from the liars about this issue with her mom that she's dealing with. Uh, Spencer isn't able to even tell the liars everything that's going on with Toby right now. Uh, Emily is very much in her own little world with uh, the situation uh, as it's evolving with Pam, like when Pam comes to school and is like reaming Emily out about the pain pills, Spencer and Arya actually have a moment where they're like, what was that about? We have no idea. So, uh, you know, they're they're all really uh, kind of seeming like their storylines are getting like more sealed off from one another, which leads to like, you know, one of the things that's a really strong foundation of the show is the liars supporting each other. And that just doesn't seem to be built into the structure of the last few episodes. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's uh, kind of some foreshadowing of the storytelling that we'll get as the series goes on. I think one of the real um, unfortunate parts about the last uh, the last couple of seasons is that it, the storytelling is more segmented and the liars do feel more separated from one another and less kind of dialed into what e each other are going through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think actually this is another episode where the main scene where all four of the liars are together is the opener is, is before the credits. And then I think after that, they're yeah. all kind of spun out into their, uh, their individual situations. 
Well, there are so many parents present in this episode. I mean, my God. It is. It's crowded. Uh, it's crowded with family members, for sure. What do you think the, I mean, I have my own ideas, but what do you think the cat's cradle of the title is referring to? Oh, I mean, I think it's about the parent drama. I think it's about, like, yeah. the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, uh, little boy blue and the man. Like, I, I think that's where it's going. Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I also think of, like, that that game, A Cat's Cradle, you know, where everything gets all tangled up and you can't get your hands out. Um, and I feel like that's all sort of happening in, in all of the storylines. I, I mean, that's what A builds for the liars are essentially these cat's cradles. Oh, totally. Yeah, I think it works on both levels. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, shall we shall we dive right in? Yes, yes. Uh, we start with our requisite scene of all the liars together going over the state of the plot as they sort through box number 403 of Allie's stuff, which includes bird items and notebooks that Emily took because they might contain an important clue. Hannah insists her mom might have hit Wilden a little with her car, but didn't kill him. Uh, Aria says Karate Jake is nice, and Spencer has a visible reaction to that, uh, probably because she would prefer to be dating Aria herself if she knew that option was available. Emily's shoulder hurts. I don't know how many times in these notes I have put down Emily's shoulder hurts because in like almost every scene that she's in, there's a moment where Emily's stage direction is just clutch your shoulder as if in pain. So this is the first time we see it. If you were playing a drinking game where you drank every time Emily clutched her shoulder in this episode, you'd be pretty trashed by the end. It seems it seems like the writers weren't really sure what they wanted to have be wrong with Emily's shoulder. Like, is it just bad bruising? Is it like, like what exactly is going, is going on? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. And Aria is jealous of her mom's love life to which I just had to write in all caps, girl. <laughs> valid, very valid note. Yeah, this is one of those, um, we get these in the in the hallway at school a lot, where we sort of start with one group and then drift over to another, and it's all part of one scene. But we drift over to another couch at the brew, where Zach is telling Ella about this trip to a pastry castle in Vienna that he's been invited to, which just sounds like not a thing. It just sounds <laughs> like like code for something weird or like some kind of red flag, but Ella is excited for him. Um, it was here that I took the note. Does Zach have sort of like proto Caleb energy? Like, does it feel like he, I feel like he's trying to bring kind of like antagonistic season one Caleb energy. And it's just, it's like dialed up too high. Um, anyway, he invites Ella to join him on this trip by telling her to take motherhood off the table which is another giant red flag but is also Ella's favorite thing to do um she clearly is thinking about uh, joining him even while saying that there's no way she can join him you know and on the one hand Ella going away is probably the last thing Arya needs on the other hand it's not like she does much parenting when she is around so maybe it's actually exactly what she needs yeah, I mean, I think, uh, first of all, we do have to appreciate the hat on a hat on a hat here. Like, Zach hasn't just, like, gotten a job offer in some other place that he's going to have to go to. No, it has to be in Europe. It has to be, like, 
at a pastry castle on a lake like and he's like only five other americans were chosen like okay how many pastry chefs do they need at this castle more than five like what is this like is this like the austrian version of the great british bake-off only featuring americans like this is all (laughs) this is this is one of those episodes where it's definitely like, don't look at it too close. Like, don't think about it too hard. Just like, listen and go, okay, Castle in Austria, pastry, 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 okay. Um, but like, more important is the fact that he is inviting his girlfriend, Ella, who, it is now endless November, and they started dating after the beginning of the school year. So they have been dating less than three months in showtime at this point. That is really quickly to invite someone to actually move to another country with you. Uh, And even like, even if you're going to shoot your shot, like, okay, you know, you you might as well ask, like, if that's what you want, you might as well put it out there uh, to your person into the universe. That is what you want. But the fact is that when she says no, he acts like all of her reasons are meaningless are just like, you know, I mean, like it's, it's inconceivable that her having like a job and a life and her kids here, one of whom is graduating from high school, like that any of that uh, matters at all. And also the term of his pastry castle is like unknown. It's less than a year, but we don't like, it's, it's not like a specific period of time. It could be like 364 days. It could be three days. Both of those time periods are less than a year. Like <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> You know, and, and when she says, you know, the, take motherhood off the table, don't you want to be reading Shelley on the grass near a lake in Europe? And I'm like, you know, yes, we all want to be reading Shelley on the grass in a lake in Europe where they have the pandemic under control. But you still shouldn't take such a big step when you've only known someone for three months and you are not actually that familiar with all the elements of your partner's personality and character. But because Ella doesn't like confrontation, she is just bound and determined to think about it. Uh, Which, like, Ella is so averse to confrontation. Like, do you think there is anything, anything in the world that you could propose to Ella and she would reject outright without consideration or reconsideration? And if so, what is it? Oh, man, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, I feel like the like maybe that that she like uh, confrontation related to her parenting, perhaps like that feels like maybe the one thing where she'd kind of like bark back at you a little bit. But yeah, I mean, she's so she's so conflict averse, and um, he is just he is just so slimy. Like I know that we like hindsight's twenty twenty. But he is just he he everything about this dude comes across across as slimy. This whole invitation to this pastry castle in Vienna is extremely suspect. Um, and and also, do you remember that uh, later after Zach hits on Hannah and um, Ella finds out about it, she tells Arya that there were quote unquote rumors about um, Zach like having a history of this kind of behavior. Do you think Ella knows about that at this point? No, I would like to think if she knew about that, that she wouldn't have gone with him. And we'll have to see when we get to that episode. But it almost seemed like something happens, like something happens in Europe that like sets Ella's radar off on this point. That She's like seen something 
or heard something that she knows she knows more about him i think when they come back even though she's still gonna marry him because again conflict avoidant well also um isn't it just so weird and interesting how it's like zach is another man in the montgomery family orbit who has this history of preying on young girls it's like no matter what aria and ella do they they can't break that cycle it's really it's really weird yeah it's pretty disturbing when when it comes down to it also i have to assume because they're gonna i looked to see when exactly it is that they come back and it's still season four it's like 423 or something i think that they come back and so they're gonna come back before christmas it's endless november now they're gonna be back before christmas his pastry term is for less than a year uh but i have to assume that maybe he gets booted out early due to uh you know hitting on one of the young i don't i don't know uh pastry apprentices or uh you know kitchen assistants or stable girls i don't know what all they have at the pastry (laughs) castle uh but i suspect i suspect that he gets kicked out uh due to his behavior yeah no that 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 definitely tracks yeah Uh, Back over at the liar's table, uh, we learn that Mona wasn't in school and they're all nervous about not knowing where she is. Uh, Has anyone checked Hannah's bedroom or Spencer's? Just thinking out loud here. Uh, Enter Melissa, who has come to this coffee shop to get coffee. But the liars act like her presence is incredibly suspicious. What is Melissa doing getting coffee at this public coffee shop? Gasp. Uh, Spencer is like sent over to go talk to her and they have this pleasantly frosty uh, sparring session about Melissa's interview in Washington, uh, which hat on a hat alert may result in an internship in either San Francisco or London, apparently. Um, Spencer digs in to see if she'll give anything away about Wilden and or his murder, but Melissa breezes that she was out of town. Spencer suggests these internships would be a perfect getaway. So Melissa basically is like, throw the witch in the water. If she drowns, great. If she doesn't drown, she's a witch. We'll burn her. Uh, Her being in town is cast as suspicious, but her plans to leave town are also extremely suspicious. Great. Uh, She also cautions Spencer that Spencer herself might want to leave town soon. Ah, these two. Do we ever find out what, melissa's job is like she's not a she's not a lawyer no i mean there are times when it seems like she's a lawyer because she definitely interned at the uh firm that ashley used for her divorce like that's something that we know but also she was in business school uh and also she's like vaguely involved in politics later on so no i mean melissa I kind of think that Melissa is maybe just a dilettante. Like she has family money. So she just takes unpaid internships when she was talking about the internship. And I was like contemplating that Melissa is a little old to be doing internships still. (laughs) Um, I I was thinking about that. And then I was like, but Melissa is exactly the kind of person you want for an internship. She's like well-connected and she's rich. So she doesn't need any money. Uh, So I was like, is is she working for Harper's? Is Harper's paying her (laughs) nothing to, to go and do stuff for them? Is she collecting signatures on that letter? What's up? So 
I would love if Melissa was like um like an undercover journalist through the whole series. <laughs> like just trying to like collect dirt on the liars. I think that'd be really fun. Um but also once again here I, for for good story reason but I just find it interest an interesting theme. Hannah is the one who is most suspicious of Melissa. She uh, seems to immediately think that Melissa has something to do with Wilden's murder. And Spencer kind of defends that, which is similar to at the end of season two, when Hannah was certain that Melissa was A. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And also just it, later in this episode, Spencer and Melissa are going to have that conversation where they talk about whether they're just too similar to one another to ever be really close. And I think that that is so interesting because Spencer is hiding something pretty big from the liars right now. And it's almost as if Hannah can like sense that disturbance in the force, like coming from the Hastings corner, but she assumes that it can't be Spencer related. So she, she's kind of like putting it onto Melissa. That's a great point. That's a great point. But uh, as always, it's so much fun when Melissa and Spencer get to get to get to do their sort of like their dance where they're, not exactly saying threatening things, but they're kind of saying threatening things. Like it's all very heightened and kind of film noirish. Well, I love Melissa and Spencer interacting in, for the like in a similar way to how I love Spencer and Mona interacting. Although obviously Spencer and Mona have like a sexual chemistry as well, but Melissa is that same thing. She's a worthy adversary for Spencer, which is kind of rare on the show because yeah. generally uh, Spencer is just a lot smarter than everyone. Yeah, and she's like, they're trying to give her like, you know, rat-a-tat dialogue with Toby. So it's a, yeah, it just it's doesn't never, work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, so Hannah and Caleb are sitting on the church steps, chatting about Caleb's reconciliation with Uncle Daddy Jamie. Uh, Caleb says that he should have believed his dad and would have let him take a swing at him, as he relates the story of finding Jamie out on this fishing trip. Um, rather than Jamie taking a swing at Caleb, the toxic masculinity took a different form, fishing and not talking. Ugh. I hate that all of this is framed as Caleb needing to be more open and forgiving to his biological parent, rather than him perhaps learning to set healthy boundaries for himself, and that, you know, maybe his biological family is not the family that is ultimately going to be there for him, the way that, say, the family of Ashley and Hannah have been there for him. But anyway, Caleb is feeling better about his reconciliation. Hannah, meanwhile, seems detached and nervous, although she does look fantastic. Once again, no wigs in sight. Um, she's very worried about her mom looking guilty. And for some reason, they are both completely convinced that absolutely Ashley was in New York the night Wilden died. All they have to do is prove it. As they walk away, there is another creepy Pastor Ted quote uh, outside the church. Yes. Um, this situation with Caleb, it's a lot. There are a couple moments in this episode where I was really reminded of what you, you've been saying recently about how the writers are just kind of relying on this oversimplified matrix of human emotion. Uh, like either Caleb's dad is forgiven or he's not. And he is forgiven now. Like forgiveness is a process. And this guy right. pretended to be your uncle for how many years and let you be like, absorbed into the foster care system but then like you did one thing where you kind of believed that he might have stolen a bell which there's an info dump here that jamie didn't steal the bell they've like found that it was someone at the foundry who switched it which we like never hear about before or after but 
that's why Caleb was going to let his pops take a swing at him uh, if needed, uh, which is a whole other thing. But like, there's no, there's no concept of like forgiveness could be a process. This is something that they could still be working through for a long time. Nope. Uncle daddy's forgiven. And Caleb is so on board with dads and with fixing thing with things with dads that he's just going to be on this train for like the rest of the season slash his life. Well, he really is because I feel like from this point on out, Caleb it takes an increasingly patriarchal role in Hannah's life. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. And actually in Ashley's as well, which is yeah. also disturbing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Caleb. Not Also, he seems like, in the in the moments where like he's so he's like going on and on about Uncle Daddy and this fish that he cleaned, and he actually seems kind of impatient with Hannah's issue. Like they just spent all this time processing his emotions, and then he's like, "Oh, fine. All we have to do is prove that your mom was in New York, and then this pesky murder investigation will just go away, and we can talk some more about fishing and my dad." Do we? We never see Uncle Daddy again, do we? I do not think I, I don't remember ever seeing him again. So yeah, neither do I. Neither but Caleb does have a lifelong love of fishing after this moment. <laughs> yeah, him and Toby, right? Yeah, don't, yeah, don't lasting, lasting love. I would have so loved it, like in season seven or something, if we'd gotten um, like that scene in Brokeback Mountain where like Spencer's unpacking Toby's fishing poles, <laughs> and it's like clear that no fishing has taken place on ah. the fish trip. <laughs> That yeah would be I I in my heart I'm now convinced that that was a deleted scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Oh, uh, so Arya is with her mom, who is picking out some books to buy and chatting with her daughter about Zach's offer to go off to Vienna. Uh, again, this is cast as an all or nothing concern. The important point of which is, does Ella want to go? Uh, and this is another instance of like human behavior being completely one dimensional uh you can simultaneously want to run off to europe and also want to see your daughter graduate from high school and there's also really no reason that ella and zach couldn't try long distance or why she couldn't go over there for a few weeks or a month etc i mean it's ridiculous because as i said they're going to be back before endless november is even over um but be that as it may this is just another example of the show casting it as like Either it's this thing or it's this thing and there's no in between. Oh my God. I was so mad at Ella in this scene because Ella telling Aria about this, oh. whether she intends it or not, is such a manipulation tactic. She on some level is fishing for Aria to give her permission to go. And even if she's not fishing for Aria to give her permission to go, she is once again treating Aria like the BFF who's going to give her relationship counsel, not her child who really um, should not be weighing in on this decision, um, especially because it ends up be, being sort of framed as this thing of like, well, I would go if it weren't for you and your pesky brother. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it all seems really silly. Also, I, I have a list of some other people that Ella might talk to about this um, before she talks to Aria, just like off the top of my head here. Um, Byron her co-parent, who I'm not a big fan of, but he's now going to have, like, full custody of the kids all the time. You might want to check in with him. Just, you know, just mention this whole pastry castle experience that you're thinking of, of zipping off to. Uh, so that's one person. 
Uh, also, uh, Vice Principal Hackett, i.e. your boss, since you're going to be leaving your job for, again, less than a year, unknown period of time, pastry castle, uh, dimension, etc. So, you know, those are a couple of people. Um, also, like, her friends, Noreen, etc. Like, people who she could get counsel from who are not her teenage daughter. I think all of those would be a really solid choice. Absolutely. I completely agree. I completely agree. So um, Spencer can't figure out the tippy phone number in any reverse directory. And Toby has to snark about it a bit, then rub his head in man pain until Spencer (gasps) stops what she's doing and pays attention to him. He's been reading through the doctor's notes about his mom and isn't finding the answers that he's looking for. Spencer wants to tell the liars about Toby taking the lair before A tells them, which is a really good point. But Toby is going to make Spencer handle it. He can't look them in the eye. Which, you should have thought of that when you made the choice to betray them again, my dude. Uh, He says, and then he makes an extremely misogynistic remark that A has always felt like a she, hasn't it? Um, Also, again, like, all of the pronoun talk about A and referring to A as it and all of that is so, so, so bad in hindsight, knowing um, that they ultimately decided to make A a trans woman. Uh, Spencer tries to follow A. Spe- Spencer uh, tries to follow A's direction by looking at the facts, but Toby is going to be p- pissy about that too. Spencer suggests that they go back to Radley, which she is willing to do for this dude. To which I say, Spencer, stop giving yourself away to this man. He is not worthy. Oh, I completely agree. And this is actually, like, this is kind of similar. It feels similar to the Ella and Aria situation, wherein, like, even if Aria is willing to engage with you on this as an equal, it's not something you should be asking of her. And, like, in this situation, even if Spencer says that she is willing to go back into Radley for you, like, that is not an offer you should take her up on. Like, if this is something you need to do, go do it, Tobes. But, like, don't ask your girlfriend, who's recently just gotten out of this asylum, to go back in there with you uh, for your investigation that you're doing. I think that that is just so far out of line. As is his comment about A feeling like a woman. Like, oh gosh, can you can you imagine that? Like, you know, someone who seems to be smarter than you and also your enemy, you immediately perceive as female. What does that say, do we think, about our our dear friend here? Our dear, our dear friend Toblerone? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good question. Good question. Yeah, yeah. CF, Lilith, Eve, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hannah has set the table for the takeout that Ashley is bringing home. Uh, when Ashley arrives, Hannah not so subtly interrogates her mom some more, uh, clearly doubting that she had meetings the whole time. Uh, did she get out at all? Shopping? A restaurant? Ashley says it was work, 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 and then they all got dragged to a show at the end of the week. I feel you, woman. I feel like this is a completely believable business trip to New York. But Hannah suspiciously asks, what show? And Ashley informs her it was anything goes. Ugh, poor woman. I so would have loved if the resolution to this particular plot point was Hannah and Caleb uh, like doing rapid fire Broadway trivia trivia with Ashley, <laughs> or or like starting to sing some of the songs to see if Ashley could like join them or not. That exactly. would have been that would have been very entertaining. Yeah, I I would have liked that a lot. Um, so 
Jake and Arya are watching an old movie. I think, is this to have and have not? Uh, no, I think that this is The Big Sleep. The Big Sleep, okay. So they're watching this old movie, and Jake clearly doesn't get film noir, which is a big problem for Arya, who loves black and white movies. But we're really getting this sort of, um, I don't know, city mouse, country mouse vibe with the two of them here. Like, Jake just doesn't get culture. Um, and I, I kind of love how absurdly basic they've made this dude. He cracks a joke that I honestly was not sure was a joke about how he thinks the TV is broken if he sees a black and white movie on. Um, he does pose an interesting question, though, when he asks her, why does it make Arya nervous that he might not like the same things as her? To which I reply, perhaps because her whole identity has been shaped by the validation she got from the predator who groomed her? Just a thought. Have that uh, same note. Yeah. I feel like um, this would work. There's doing an interesting thing with the, the two of them where they don't have any chemistry. But I kind of feel like that's intentional. Like, there's definitely this vibe of this is the... We've been talking a lot about people, the relationship that people want to want. This is the relationship that Arya... better if they had at least a little bit of chemistry yeah i i would agree with that um but also i i have to like really aria loses a lot of points here for like you're having like basically a first date with this new guy and the thing that you choose to do with him is the same thing that you did a hundred times <laughs> with your ex-boyfriend like i really think like Arya, what's wrong with mini golf like what's wrong with doing like literally anything out in the world that you could do um i think that i, I think that like Putting him in this situation is definitely setting him up for failure. But I also think that even though he's definitely made out to be kind of a lunkhead, he's still willing to watch this movie with her. Like she's just getting she's just getting prickly because his level of enthusiasm is not as high as hers. I forgot that these two have multiple scenes where they watch movies together. And I was honestly waiting for him to like change the channel to Insidious 2 and for them to like <laughs> stop everything that they're doing cold look at the camera and be like insidious too it's even more insidious than the first insidious <laughs> <laughs> that comes later nice nice uh um also i think that like her feelings like her feeling anxious about this it's definitely about presra grooming her but it's also like a great call out on both Byron and Prezra that the only yeah. heir in any given room always has to be uh, handed over to them and their interests, period. Mm -hmm. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Emily uh, has a super useless doctor's appointment. Uh, a doctor who for once is not Ren Kingston uh, questions how she got her injury and offers to prescribe painkillers. Emily turns down the ones uh, that are the same kind that she stole from her mom and then covers badly after saying she had a bad reaction to them. No, wait, she heard about people having a bad reaction to them. Uh, it's not convincing, uh, but he has like no information to give to her. He just he'll let her know when the x-ray and the MRIs come back. Healthcare is broken. Yeah. Emily's ability to lie in this episode. It's, it's, it's never been worse. Like she is just she 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 has nothing. Um, she has nothing to offer, and the doctor's spidey senses are clearly tingling. Well, yeah, all, all she's her shoulder hurts too much for her to be good at lying in this episode. Uh, all she can do is like clutch vainly 
uh, at her like rotator cuff and and that's it. Uh, but also the doctor's office, like the I, I'm I'm sure we're both gonna have a lot to say about like the quality of the masks later in this episode. But the quality of staging for this doctor's office, it looks like either a classroom at the school or like a half classroom, half brew discards set. So it's um it's it's a bit of a mess here. He might not even be a real doctor, quite honestly. This might be the set to Hackett's office. I yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, um, it it definitely does not look like either a modern doctor's office or like an old creaky doctor's office. Neither of that does does it look like. Or actually, maybe Byron's office at Hollis. Like, it definitely looks like a, an office set that we have seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So Hannah is delivering the car keys back to her mom. They have a little kind of cute back and forth about Hannah getting her own set. Um. It, before Hannah spies some flowers on her mom's desk, Ashley says that everybody who went on the New York trip got these flowers. Um, but then she, when she gets up to do something, Hannah spies the card in the trash can that came on the flowers, um, revealing that Ashley didn't make it to the show after all. Once Ashley comes back in, Hannah throws the card down and storms out. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Drama, drama, drama with Ashley and Hannah this week. Absolutely. Oof. Uh, okay, now we get a three-liar recap event. Uh, we have some double entendres about Vienna strudels, and everyone is weirdly acting like it's Arya's decision whether or not her mom goes, because dysfunction is the norm when it comes to the Montgomerys. Uh, Spencer reveals she's had no luck with the phone number search. Emily's shoulder hurts, and uh, she's started looking through the alley notebooks. Arya offers to come over and help that night, but Spencer can't because of Toby. Uh, everyone in this episode is wearing really severe belts and carrying around absurdly large bags. Hannah in the last scene had like uh, this really giant bag in the scene in her mom's office. And all of the liars in this episode have giant bags slung over their shoulders in this scene, including Emily, who, as you may remember, has an injured shoulder. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Pam Fields screeches up and offers to give Emily a ride home. Uh, She wants to talk in the car, but Emily, sensing she's in trouble, resists enough to force a scene in public. Uh, Pam got a call from Dr. Vargas wanting to know if she ever gave Emily any of her previously prescribed pain meds. Uh, Pam counted the pills, and she is aghast that Emily took at least seven of them. Emily tries to deny it. They argue. Emily tries to just walk away from the situation. Uh, Pam winds up kind of grabbing Emily's arm to try and drag her into the car. Uh, They tussle. As they're leaving, Arya gets a text from A that says, cleaning up Rosewood, one, mean mommy at a time. Dig we must. Kisses, A. Yeah, this is, um, this whole, this is one of those scenes where it, it exists to get us to the moment of uh, Pam and Emily kind of making a scene. But the whole, like, recap at the beginning of the scene feels completely unnecessary. Like, okay, we've got Vienna talk. We've got Spencer lying. We've got more alley notebooks that Emily needs to look through. Like, the Spencer can't figure out the phone number. Like, this is all information that we know. Yeah, completely all information that we know. And I would be 100% fine if we were just to assume that the liars had filled each other in about these things 
off screen. Like that would be yeah. Like that that would be expected. I don't really know why that's that's happening here. But uh, this is also the scene where after Emily does get in the car and they roar off, uh, Spencer and Arya have this moment of like, "What was that about?" I no idea so i guess you can't assume they just tell each other things because they seem to have no idea uh that emily had this whole pain pill uh paramedic visit uh swim like swim relay uh situation going on like it seems like all of that is completely new information for them oh that's interesting so you got the the sense that they didn't even know about anything that had happened at the end of the last episode I mean, they certainly didn't seem to know anything about the pain pills, which would be, like, something that Emily, it feels like, would have told them. Interesting. I wasn't I wasn't necessarily getting that sense. I guess I more just got the sense that they, they were confused by Pam's anger or something. I don't mm. know. Mm. But either, either way, the liars are pretty disconnected at this point. Yeah, but, like, what you were saying, where, like, this exists just to get us to the moment where Pam grabs Emily and then that's going to unleash trauma. Like, that's definitely a moment where the writing is just, like, we need to get to point B, so here's this thing that happens. Like, it definitely does not feel like it's happening organically at all. Not at all. So, Hannah is really spiraling about her mom's series of lies Caleb weirdly asks if Tom has been involved in any of these discussions because I guess now that Caleb has a dad, he thinks that dads should be involved in all matters moving forward and can solve any problem. He suggests that Ashley might need an attorney, which um, Hannah seems surprised by, even though at the end of last episode, it seemed like that's what she was suggesting to Spencer. Yeah, this is kind of another, uh, this is kind of another instance of like, Caleb just wants this fixed like he's like well if we can't prove that she was in new york then she should talk to a lawyer like he just kind of wants to like put a bow on this and have it be done it seems like <laughs> like take it out of the oven and stick a fork in it like he's, yeah he's, yeah. yeah that seems to be the the energy and attention that he's giving to this right now well and like i get that there's um I feel like there needs to be a line in here about like Ashley doesn't have money for a lawyer or something like that, because it, it seems like there's this thing where it's like, yes, Tom has money. Tom could pay for a lawyer, but then there's also this, this vibe of like suddenly Caleb thinking that Hannah needs her father as though Tom is going to be able to provide any support at all. And again, and, this is also just bad writing to get us to the fact that Ashley took Tom's gun. Like, that's where we're going with this. But it's never really made much sense to me why all of a sudden Tom needed to be wrapped up. Or if Ashley jail, Hannah will have to live with Tom. But it just, it just feels like we're jumping through a lot of hoops to bring Tom back into the fold in a way that doesn't feel very organic. Well, and I disagree. I disagree with the basic premise that if Ashley goes to jail, Hannah's going to have to live with Tom. I feel like if Ashley right. goes to jail, Hannah could move in with Emily. Hannah and Caleb could live in the house. Like, yeah, I, I just think that this is all... The, the, the return of Tom is basically nonsense. And also, poor Hannah. She just needs someone to, like, really listen to her. And Caleb is not invested in listening. Caleb is just involved in, like, getting to the next part where he can try and solve this for her, which I think is just really, really 
Like, they're not talking about, like, Hannah's possible courses of action. They're not talking about Han- how Hannah feels about all of this. Um, they're, they're not talking about, like, specifically what her worries are. Um, so it, it's, it's bad news all over the place. Hannah just looks increasingly worried at the end of every scene that she's in tonight. Uh, and she's so worried that her next move, the next scene we see, is her going to the police station. Uh, she's brought flowers for Pam Fields. But she immediately wanders around and finds a room with a giant murder board instead. Uh, it has pictures of Wilden and Allie and Ian and Melissa and Jenna and the liars. And of course, Ashley herself with lines and arrows. And it even has a picture of Wren with the doctor part of Dr. Kingston in quotation marks. Oh, this <laughs> board, this board. Uh, anyway, Hannah is just about to take a picture of it when Holbrook steps directly in front of her and ushers her out of the room right quick. Uh, Hannah plays slightly dumb, and he eventually uh, gets distracted because Holbrook has a meeting with, cue super shady theme, Melissa Hastings. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I love I love this board. I wish that this board had come back more. It. I always felt like, wow, they put a lot of work into this. And I, I, I've never like really closely studied it. I mean, I saw just about every major recurring character is on this board and there are, you know, lines, lines connecting them all. Are there any tidbits from this board besides the Dr. Kingston thing um, that like stand out to you? Uh, well, the Dr. Kingston was one that I really, uh, I'll tell you like things that I thought like during this original part of uh, the original part of uh, when this was airing, uh, I definitely thought that that Dr. Kingston in parentheses was going to come back. This was also a big era for the shady church quotes, which we saw another one of in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Toby uh, is grabbing his head in this era, just as much as Emily is grabbing her shoulder. So I thought that Toby was going to have like a brain tumor or like some kind of <laughs> split personality, like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Uh, Cause he was grabbing his head so much. Uh, but Jenna, uh, Jenna on this board, there's a note by her that says check alibi. So I was always really interested to see like what alibi they were going to be checking for her uh, and, and how that was going to tie back into things. And also for Melissa, uh, it says medical records, question mark, by her picture. Uh, so that's another, like, is it the fake pregnancy? Is it Spencer's adoption? What's the story there? Yeah, so many possibilities. Um, so Tom Marin is leaving his manly man job in the city when Caleb, who apparently just waits around for dads now, approaches <laughs> him to talk about Wilden and his connection to Ashley and Hannah. Why does Caleb do this? Why does he think it would be a good idea? I do not know. Uh, Caleb tells him that if Ashley goes down for this, they're both going to need his help. Hannah needs to know that Tom will be there for her. Tom coolly states that he'll keep all of this in mind and gets into his car. Oh, my God. Okay, first, Caleb is wearing a jacket that looks like he stole it from a scarecrow. Uh, (laughs) While he's doing this, this thing, which I would actually, I would describe this as unforgivable, uh, him going to Tom like this. Um, Tom has consistently proven that he is no friend to Ashley and Hannah, like by, by his words, by his actions, by his deeds. Uh, 
why would you hand this information to him that Ashley and is involved in this possible murder investigation? Like, what are you going to do if he uses this to sue for full custody of Hannah? Like, what are you going to do if he swoops in knowing that Ashley is vulnerable for a second go round at their affair? Like, what if he comes in and throws his money around for five minutes and gives everybody a bunch of false hope and then leaves again? Like, this is Tom Merrin. These are the kind of things that he does. We know who he is, Caleb. And also, if Caleb is so worried about this, if Caleb's concern is like, he, he Caleb is like, he's constructing like two points of concern. His first point of concern is how is Ashley going to be able to afford defense counsel? And his other point of concern is like, what's going to happen to Hannah if her mom goes to jail? So if Caleb himself wanted to like get action on those two points, he could sell his bends to try and get Ashley money for a lawyer. That's something that it is within his power to do. He could ask his own mother who is wealthy uh, to bankroll this for his chosen family. Uh, He could tell Hannah that they can get a place together if Ashley has to go to jail or encourage her to talk to Pam or Veronica about staying with another one of the liars. Or another radical idea, he could just listen to his girlfriend and assure her they are in this together. Uh, And also, like, you just know, you know that this is something he knew Hannah would hate him doing. That's why he didn't tell her that he was doing it. So just like from start to finish here, dear God. Yeah, I feel like the only way this even slightly works would be a thing where Tom, Tom had heard about this, like not from Caleb, like he had heard about it through the the sort of Rosewood gossip mill or through the news or something, you know, he had a buddy on the force that like tipped him off or whatever. And that he was maybe threatening to sue for custody or threatening Ashley in some way. And Caleb was like showing up to sort of set him straight on the facts and sort of reframe his perspective in terms of like what's important here or something like that. Like the way that they frame this, it's, it's so random and weird and they 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 it's it almost in some ways reminds me of um the the Prezra reveal about the book where you know the reveal that um that that he knew exactly who Arya was and all of that where that's always seemed like one of those things where it's like if you're going to make this guy look like a hero you could have redone this storyline in a way that made this way less terrible and creepy, but you chose to tell it in this way. And then you chose to make him the romantic hero. And I sort of feel like on a smaller scale, the same way about Caleb here, like they could have framed this storyline in a completely different way that made, made Caleb into um, much more of a hero and actually framed this as perhaps a more positive action that he was taking. But um, it ends up being completely the opposite here. And of course, he's never taken to task for it. No, no. Caleb is, he's just being meddlesome for the sake of being meddlesome, for the sake of believing that he knows better than Hannah does what the right choices are for her life. And that is one of his worst traits. And it's one he's going to lean into pretty hard from this point forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So over at Emily's, Arya and Emily are looking through Allie's stuff and debating whether it's a big lie or a little lie when you take painkillers that are not yours. 
Arya is fussing with this harlequin-type mask uh, when she discovers an Allison mask underneath of it. Masks upon masks upon masks. Uh, this mask is like the one that Mona had on the train, uh, maybe like the one they all saw that night at the lodge. Emily really quickly uh, decides that Allie must have had this one because she was the original model. Okay, that is oddly specific and convenient as a conclusion, but great. Uh, there's also a handy maker's mark uh, that sets them on the path for investigating. Uh, and there's a throwaway line where Emily says, we can't ask Mona uh, for no other reason than I guess to just say that they can't. Certainly they could call her or go to her home. It seems like there's no good reason that they can't ask Mona other than Mona is not in this episode. Yeah, that, that line really stuck out to me too. Um, I do love that we get an immortality, my darlings uh, reference here because I always love those. But um, yeah, I'll have more to say about this investigation path as we get later <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> liar's strongest. I'll say that. It's not their strongest lead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hannah is in her bedroom listening to headphones. There are a lot of scenes of Hannah listening to her headphones and the music becoming like this kind of like diegetic thing. Um, I kind of like that. Hannah, it's like Hannah has control over the music of the show. Um, when Ashley walks in, she is coming in hot. She is mad that Hannah spied and Hannah is mad that she lied. Ashley tells her to not ask any more questions uh but then says uh that if somebody asks where ashley was that night hannah cuts in saying that she will lie she'll say that ashley was at the show ashley tells her not to lie just don't say anything and this is just so so sad um to see to see the way that this whole situation is breaking down uh the the relationship between the two of them it's just it's just tragic, and um, there's there's definitely this in, impending sense of doom that will just really continue through this whole half season. Oh, I completely agree. And also, Ashley is doing her best to protect Hannah, and Hannah is doing her best to not be protected here. Like, yeah. Ashley does not want Hannah to have to lie about this. Ashley feels like the less Hannah knows, the better, in stark contrast to another character who is going to allow a teenager to just plunge knee-deep into a murder conspiracy. Coming up soon. <laughs> Little Easter egg right there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> elsewhere, Toby and Spencer are sneaking into Radley with the override codes that Mona had previously given Spencer. Mona must have been impressed with you, Toby says. Spencer smiles knowingly and tells him she's a fast learner. <laughs> My note after that line is just all caps the word um with a question <laughs> and an exclamation point. <laughs> like, I actually, like, like, thinking about it right now, I'm, like, I know that probably Spencer doesn't make a motion with her tongue, but I, I feel like existentially she does after that line. Well, what's so funny is, like, she's saying all of this to Toby, who's, like, <laughs> this, this dumb block of wood in the middle of this, like, you know, this heightened reality with these two amazing geniuses who, like, you know, I'm sure had, you know, like, 
like metaphorically and intellectually like had sex in every room of Bradley, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah. Toby's just like, wow, she was impressed with you. <laughs> I never got the override codes. <laughs> Toby's like a dog. Like he's like a big Saint Bernard in this episode. <laughs> in all episodes. <laughs> ah, why don't never let me go in all of the secret places? I I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um uh I want you to do that voice by the way for every Toby line from now on. <laughs> um so Hannah is over at Emily's looking at the mask um, made by Hector Lime. What is it? Hector Lime dimensional artist or something? Yes. Yes. Just, again, sound suspect. Um, His studio, we find out, is on the far side of Torch Lake. Um, They don't know how many masks there are or where they came from, which they decide is like a lead. Like, they decide that this whole mask situation is like a lead because it all comes back to the the Halloween train and to Mona and to A. And I mean, like, yes, I guess, but I don't really feel like this is um, the urgent matter that they all turn this into. I get that Hannah is very concerned um, about her mom and about um, the idea that her mom is being framed, but I feel like we need one more element that ties this mask into Wilden's murder and Ashley's guilt. Like maybe that an alley mask was like, found at the scene of the crime or something like that well especially because their idea is that this mask is connected to the ghost train and wilden was on the ghost train with another person who may or may not be melissa but melissa wasn't the person wearing the alley mask mona was we know that that's already a mystery that's solved so i'm really not sure what they think like they're gonna get by going to the mask maker but um, off, off to the mask maker, they shall go. Yes. And they, there's, there's this kind of interesting back and forth about, um, they, you know, they don't want to go without cluing Spencer in. They can't get a hold of Spencer. And Hannah is really, um, kind of foreshadowing the fact that she's going to become the leader in the next half season when Spencer is, um, dealing with her addiction, when she is like, we don't need to wait for Nancy Drew. We don't need Spencer. We can do this ourselves. We're handling this. Yes. Ari feels like she just got drafted, which is a very Aria line. <laughs> oh, man, this next scene. Mask maker, mask maker, make me a mask. <laughs> uh, the wires are here on the shores of Torch Lake at the studio of Hector Lime. Uh, there's a creepy mannequin on the porch and a lot of ominous shadows. Uh, Hector himself appears in plaster-covered apron and says in, like, the just, you know, this guy is really good. Like, uh, you know how sometimes they tell Toby, like, his direction is be creepy, uh, and he really overdoes it? This guy is the perfect amount of creepy. He is hitting that creep mark every time, uh, but he says that he likes it when people call first. Uh, Hannah steps up and shows him the alley mask. Did he make this? Uh, He doesn't quite respond, but he does say they'd better come in. Uh, This guy, I I give him a lot of credit. I think he is one of the creepiest minor characters we get on PLL. Uh, I feel like he is comparable to, but exceeds the level of uh, the Norman Bates-esque desk man 
at the Lost Woods, who's later the creepy janitor, uh, I feel like this guy pr- pretty much blows him out of the water. Oh, I agree. I took the note that he feels like he just walked off the set of an episode of Criminal Minds where he was playing a serial killer who steals girls' faces. Like, yeah, he's soups creepy, for sure. Yes, yes, 100%. Um, So Spencer and Toby are sneaking the two of them into the children's ward. I really hate that this has all become about Toby's trauma and not Spencer's because, hello, this would be kind of traumatic and triggering for her to go back into this place where she just was post mental breakdown post her boyfriend faking his own death post him driving her crazy ugh um they find the alleged window in question where um marion jumped out of and toby once again has to like toss the file aside for spencer to pick up um i don't know what exactly he thinks he's going to figure out here. It almost seems like he thinks like if he touches the window, he's going to like experience (laughs) Marion's like inner thoughts and feelings and like finally know the unknowable questions because like hoists himself up on the window and sort of talks his way through uh, her suicide. And then I think he grabs his head again and, um, and, like he, he grumbles about her, his mom's sessions and he goes, Oh, Spencer, I gave the RV to A for nothing. Which it's like, Of course you did, Toby. You're just a big St. Bernard standing in a window frame. Yeah. Um, Spencer is doing so much criminal and emotional work for him here. It's, it's yeah. really, it's really upsetting. Also, this is a big episode. Uh, for brainwaves like Emily got the brainwave earlier that like Allison must have been the original model for this mask (laughs) we should go and visit the mask maker in the woods to find out more about that Toby jumps up in the window here and he's like oh no it's all true my mom took a key from the nurse's station and unlocked this window and went out oh no I gave the RV to A for nothing and then like in the very Uh, The very next time I think we see them here, Spencer comes to a different conclusion, and then Toby's going to get a brainwave about needing to talk to Dr. Palmer. So, like, everyone is just having these, like, brainwaves that happened because they're in the script and for no other reason. Yeah, just just to move a story along, brainwave. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Light bulbs are just going off above people's heads throughout this this whole episode. Exactly. (laughs) Um, off in the studio shack in the woods where Spencer's three friends are possibly about to get murdered while Spencer's busy with Toby, uh, we are here in the shack where uh, Hector Lyme apparently makes statues and props and masks for horror movies, and the liars are looking a bit creeped out. Uh, Rightly so, as Hector goes on and on about having put an ad out for someone young and beautiful and a warrior. He needed a Joan of Arc, and Allie was perfect. He creeps about how Emily would make a good Medusa, and is like moments away from caressing Emily's face when Arya gets the questioning back on track, asking how many of these masks he made. Um, Hector proposes a trade. He will give them the info they want. They will give him Emily's face. Um, I am not sure why the liars are fixated on the question of how many Allison masks did he make? That answer doesn't seem like it's going to really yield anything. 
Unless I guess the answer is two, and they have the one that Mona wore, and they have this one that was in Allison's room, and so it couldn't have been a mask that rescued them from Thornhill Lodge, but I, I don't know. This, this all seems a little weird that the thing they're fixating on is how many masks, especially because they never really get an answer for that. Yeah, it also seems really weird that they would go to the degree of letting Emily have a mask made of her face. Um, (laughs) Like, it doesn't seem like any of the information that this dude is going to be able to give them is is going to be, like, significant enough for them to have a mask made of Emily's face. Because, like, let's keep in mind, so A, or some members of the A-team, clearly have... Alley masks. That's what we, that's what the liars think at this point, right? They think that somebody in an alley mask saved them from the lodge fire. We know that Mona um, had the alley mask on. We've seen a with the alley mask on. Somebody in an alley mask choked Mona out recently. So, like, there's some alley masks floating around. And this person in the alley mask is like committing crimes. <laughs> they are getting mistaken for Allie because they think that the mask is so good that they, in fact, mistook. Uh, some other person for Alice. <laughs> the idea that there that Emily's face would just be floating around in the same manner. Clearly, there's not good security here at Hector Lime's creepy stolen faces shed. The idea that like, oh, we should just we should just have Emily's face like up for grabs. Like anybody can have an Emily mask. Anybody can like commit crimes in her name, commit murders. Um, save people from burning buildings, possibly cause lodge fires. Like, it's ridiculous and ultimately is going to come around and bite them because somebody in an Emily mask sends a weird, creepy video to the Rosewood PD pretty soon. So uh, this is like, this is this is not a well-thought-out situation, my liar. It's, it's truly not. This is actually the kind of Ella Montgomery decision-making where, like, well, we don't want to make it awkward with the creepy mask maker, so I guess it's okay to trade him Emily's face for some non-information. Exactly. Exactly. Also, as you said, security here is lax, so it kind of seems like maybe they should have just tried to break into it later when he wasn't around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. I completely agree. Um, so back at the Radley Children's Ward, Spencer asks if Toby is sure that this was the room where Marianne jumped out of, um, because something with the roof line doesn't match up. She wouldn't have been able to jump straight down because there's like this raised roof thing. Um, so Spencer doesn't think Marianne jumped from here or, uh, if she might not have jumped, she might've been pushed. And Toby declares that it is time to find Dr. Palmer which I sort of feel like should have been their first step. I'm not sure why um, going back to Radley really has been all that helpful. I kind of feel like they could have gotten like their hands on some Radley blueprints and figured this one out. Um, Also, Mona seems like a great person to bring in on this (laughs) issue. I feel like she would have this sorted in no time. Yeah, yeah, I strongly agree on all counts. Plus, like the eventual resolution of this is like a legal one like he has peter hastings like work on a settlement from radley so like that's another thing that you could another step you could take here other than uh what what these little uh bird brains are up to at this time exactly yeah oh my goodness uh back at the little shop of mass horrors 
Emily is about to have plaster all over her face. Arya continues to ask questions about how many masks were made of Allie's face. Uh, it was her suggestion, Hector says. She wanted some so that all her friends could look like her. He made them uh, of unknown number, hard masks and soft masks. Uh, so I, I like my ears perked up when he said soft masks. I was like, oh, is he making the coconut oil ones already? That's so oh. impressive. Um, but Hannah drifts off to explore the other areas of the shop while he's busy looking at the many masks contained in the darkened anteroom. She startles at the sight of herself in the mirror. Elsewhere, Arya clutches, like, a small wooden bat in case the mask man attacks while Emily is plastered. Uh, Hector claims he broke the mold after he made the masks for Allison uh, because Allie asked him to do that. Hannah finds something in the darkened mask room, but we don't yet see what. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's interesting the significance of Emily being the one to get the mask. Um, I do kind of like the symbolism of like queer characters getting the mask. Um, I also think it would have been fascinating if Hannah got a mask because Hannah is Allie in so many ways and has changed so much and sort of is very good at putting on different masks. Um, and yeah, it. it the, the whole idea of, of he had to break the mold when he was finished per Allie's request is so Allie, isn't it? Like, uh, she needs to be the one to break the mold. Uh, also, I, I feel like, to your point of, like, it's not a great idea for them to give Emily space to this man because someone in an Emily mask can now do, like, whatever and people will think it's Emily. Uh, I feel like it's just also not a good idea in general. They have just met this man. He seems extremely creepy. Arya feels the need to clutch a baseball bat in case he attacks them. Well, like, what's your plan? What's your plan if he attacks you? Emily has plaster all over her face. She cannot see. Arya, are you going to beat mask guy into submission? And then you and Hannah are going to kind of, like, guide Emily out to the car? <laughs> you drove her car here. What is your... <laughs> what is your move? What if... What if, like, the mask that he's putting on her face isn't plaster? What if it's, like, some substance that's going to, like, poison her or melt her face off? What are you guys going to do? This is, like, very, very bad planning on their part. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's very true. This is, yeah, this is not the greatest liar plan. Um, so Tom Marin pulls up to Caleb, who apparently walked to his office. Like, Caleb's just, like, taking an easy stroll down a, like, kind of darkened street when Tom Marin pulls off, pulls up, telling him quite ominously that they need to talk. This, like, the scene that is coming up between uh, Caleb and Tom, it almost plays like Caleb is a hustler. Like, he's walking down the street <laughs> working his corner and Tom pulls up in his fancy car. I had to, I, I didn't take that note but I definitely felt that same vibe like there was something kind of like what's what's going on here it's really dark there's nobody around Caleb's like I don't know I don't know what's happening he's gonna Caleb's wearing Caleb's wearing his scarecrow jacket like there's a lot there's a lot happening anything could happen <laughs> 
Oh, man. Oh, back the mask shack. Hector Lime is removing the mask from Emily's face. And we get a cool camera angle out of it. Uh, as it's lifted off, it's like all black. And then suddenly Emily can see again. Uh, he creeps some more about it being perfect. As the liars leave the building, uh, having obtained really no valuable information from him in exchange for Emily's face, uh, Emily says that she was thinking of Allie the whole time, thinking uh, that that must have been what it's like to be buried alive. Hannah reveals that she both found and stole something from the other room, pulling the unseen item out of her giant bag. It causes the other liars to gasp and look back at the building in shock, although we still don't get to see what it is. Also, this is another hat on a hat. Emily says that she was thinking about Allie the whole time um, because this must be what the experience of being buried alive is like, which, true. But also, Allie also had this exact same experience of having <laughs> her face. Like, she could have been thinking of Allie because literally Allie had this exact same thing happen to her. Yes, and also I should have I should have put this in my notes, but I there was just so much else going on at the mask shop. Um, just as Emily has been like grabbing her shoulder periodically through this episode, there are like I feel like at least twelve shots of Emily's hands clutching the chair as she's being masked. So I also kind of felt like, tell me about all the ways you were thinking of Alice and Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Spare me no detail. All right. So uh, Tom has discerned that um, that that Ashley or is it that Tom has discerned that Caleb knows that Ashley was in Rosewood that night? He's figured out that Caleb knows. No, he hasn't figured out anything. Um, he's he tells Caleb that if Caleb was sent by Ashley to talk to Tom, that Caleb needs to just tell him that outright and I felt like like Ashley sent Caleb to Tom like for what purpose what's what's happening here to be his rent boy like what is what is going on in this scene this is bizarre yeah it's really it's the the way that they're trying to make this like a conspiracy or like almost like a I don't know, like, there's this weird sort of, like, legal thriller vibe to this scene. It's really strange. So, yeah, so Tom is like, you can still walk away, Caleb. You can, you can still, you can still get out of this thing. And Caleb's like, I love your daughter, sir. I'm not going to. And so Tom reveals that Ashley came to his house the night of Wilden's murder. She was looking for money, more than Tom had to give her, because he and Isabel are not very liquid right now. Um, but she left quickly. And then after Caleb came to visit Tom, Tom did something he's been very afraid to do. He checked to see if his gun was still in his office and it in fact was missing. Yeah, this is a bunch of trash. First of all, uh, the, when Caleb is like, why didn't you tell me all this this afternoon? I'm Caleb Rivers, independent teen investigator. Like, why, why didn't Tom tell you? Why would he tell you? Why is he telling you now? This is crazy. Like, Tom should not be giving this information to Caleb because it's now one more person who knows. Like, Caleb is a teenager. Caleb is his daughter's boyfriend. Like, 
there's absolutely no reason. Uh, and like, look at how quickly Tom is diming Ashley out here. Like, yeah, it's breathtaking. Like, Caleb has no authority over him. Caleb has like nothing on him. Like, oh my gosh! Like the idea that Tom isn't going to crack the second a policeman asks him this is just ridiculous. And now Caleb is on the hook too. Like. Tom is making Caleb an accessory after the fact for, like, nothing. For, like, just, like, oh, you love Hannah? Okay, I'm going to let you in on this information. Like, this is a really, really bad idea for everyone involved. Yeah, it 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 really is. And it's, it's so, it's such a strange turn for this storyline to involve Tom so heavily um, and to bring Caleb in in this way as well. Like, it's just, it's really weird how it's, you know, the men have to sort of hash this out. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a strange turn for what I would say. Like, I overall think that the Ashley Wilden plot line, I think it goes on a little long, but I think it's the, the it, I like that storyline for the most part because I think that it, um, it actually, unlike some PLL mysteries, it doesn't really feel random. It feels, kind of inevitable that um, if Wilden died, Ashley would be on the hook for it based on their history, really from the pilot of PLL. Um, and it, it makes a lot of sense to me to kind of wrap the end of Wilden's storyline in with uh, Ashley's guilt because um, so much of their interactions were based on Ashley feeling guilty about various things. Um, but having it go in this Tom and Caleb are sort of the men who have to handle things situation is odd, I think. Yeah, yeah, super odd. Also, telling Caleb about the gun is just like, yeah. hey, everybody, let's just check in on the option to not involve your daughter's teen boyfriend and possibly having to testify against her mom. Oh, wow, yes, that still exists. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, poor Caleb. I mean, uh, I'm mad at him, but I also, like, feel bad for him at the same time. Yeah, this is just disaster city, uh, especially because Tom is taking agency away from Ashley. Like, it should be up yep. to Ashley whether she wants Hannah and Caleb to know this. But of course, Tom is a narcissist, so he thinks it's all about him. What he does is always going to be correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, okay, over at Emily's uh, family drama over here, Pam is upset because Emily went out after she was told not to and also has clay in her hair for <laughs> no reason whatsoever. Uh, but what Pam really wants to say is that she was contacted by DFS. They are investigating because of Emily's shoulder injury and possible painkiller abuse and trouble with the cops and her father being away so often, et cetera, et cetera. Oddly, they have not contacted one important person here, which is Emily. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is another sort of thing where PLL has a it's framing a situation strangely because, like, people are actually kind of doing their jobs for once in Rosewood. Like, they're checking in on this this teenager who is clearly going through some stuff and does not seem to be safe or be telling the truth and is showing up with mysterious injuries and mysterious patterns of medication taking. Um, but once again, it's like, I, it, uh, Pam even has a line about some snippy little bureaucrat. Like once again, <laughs> it's framed as like, it's like the Presbyterian thing where it's framed as like, 
people people are just people are just trying to get in the way of our simple little lives. Yeah, Pam has a line about whatever happened to privacy in this country. Well, like, yeah. I mean, mandatory reporters are doing their job here. Exactly. If, if only they had been nearly as vigilant about that pesky English teacher having an affair with his teenage student. Yeah, I have that same line. Like, for once, a mandatory re- reporter is actually reporting. Um, yeah, I I feel like maybe, like, the PLL writers were all, like, libertarians or something. Like, there is definitely <laughs> this through line of, like, I don't want anybody messing in my business, you know? Right. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, so Aria is reading uh, the text from Emily about family services while spying on her mom and Zach. Uh, she is, of course, supposed to be on a date with boring karate Jake, but is distracted um, and excuses herself to go order her mom to follow her bliss to Vienna, to the pastry castle. That sounds super sketchy. Um, Aria assures her that they'll be fine with Byron. Uh, which I'm not so sure about. And then Ella announces that she's not going to sit here and discuss passion with my daughter when Arya brings up the importance of passion. Um, Ugh, first of all, like, okay, now Ella's drawing a line about the things she will and won't discuss with Arya. But also, you know, this, this whole thing that we've been talking about, about PLL sort of drawing these lines in the sand about something is either this or it's that. This whole dichotomy between passion and making, like, smart, reasonable, healthy choices is another really, really bad take. And it completely is another take that justifies Presria, right? Because it's like there's the smart, safe choice that people should be making. And there's the, you know, unbridled, uh, unextinguishable passion of Presria. Um and I have to say that all of this whole situation would make a whole lot of sense if Zach was a trying to orchestrate a situation to get uh, Aria to give her mother, uh, to want her mother to, to leave Rosewood, you know, by going after the other moms. Uh, poor Karate Jake is trying to make sense of this whole wacky family dynamic. And when Ella walks off, he asks if Aria will miss her mom. Aria will, but also she seems relieved at the prospect of her mom getting out of Rosewood. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, First of all, another note on Aria. Now her date with Karate Jake is having coffee with him at the brew. Another thing that she did with Prezra, like, literally one million times. I really think that Aria should be, like, willing to, like, change her pattern just a little bit for the (laughs) fact that she is not dating that same guy. Like, you can't just, like, plop Jake in and then get mad that he doesn't react exactly like Prezra while doing (laughs) all of the same activities that you always did with Prezra. I just think that's not setting yourself up for success, Aria. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Also, I kept waiting for Ella to get attacked by bees in this episode. Um, Oh, yeah, not here. It doesn't happen in this one. Like we have to draw out the will, will she, won't she of Ella going to Vienna for like two more episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also uh, that line when Ella's like, I'm not discussing passion with my teenage daughter. Like that is the perfect Ella Montgomery line. It's like, what a sturdy barn you're building for your long gone horses Ma'am, you're you've already had this discussion. Aria has already discussed it with you. Like you, yeah. can, you can magically think your way out of that. Like, I'm not having this discussion with my teenage daughter, but your teenage daughter just had that discussion with you. So 
Well, also Namaste, Ella. Right. Well, and Ella and Aria have have had numerous conversations about Prezra that were sort of in this same uh, jovial BFF tone versus a mother daughter tone. So, like, yeah, yeah, Ella, I'm sure glad that you're that you're deciding right now, moving forward, that you're not going to be discussing passion with your teenage daughter. Yeah, well, also, it's like, I mean, this is like, this is like just a trash TV take of like passion is like the number one like emotion that you should always follow like it's always good and it's always going to lead you right like that is such a colossally bad take uh as is going to be proven like ella follows her bliss and her passion here and it just leads her to the broken dreams of zach hitting on stable girls at the uh (laughs) at the pastry castle in austria i like how we've just decided that there are stable girls there I mean, I that's 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 my best guess. I, it's hard to imagine what the pastry castle is actually like. Like, I was briefly imagining it to be a castle that is actually going to be made of pastry. Um, you know, kind of like a gingerbread house in the woods, but um, but you know, bigger. Uh, but then I, I decided that stable girls were a possibility. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Uh, okay, so now Hannah is over at Spencer's to fill her in on the mask man in the woods. Hannah is like, um, Hannah has a teleporter in this episode uh, because we saw her return her mom's keys at the bank, which I guess meant that Ashley had walked to work since Hannah had her car keys and had forgotten that she had them. Uh, and then when Hannah comes in later, uh her mom's keys are going to be in the dish by the door, which is how she knows Ashley is home. So Hannah is just teleporting. Like she was at the mask place with Emily. Now they're back and Hannah is at Spencer's. And then like one second later, Hannah's going to be back home. But Hannah has used her teleporter to now be in Spencer's bedroom. And uh, she's filling her in on the mask man in the woods. And she drops some new prop knowledge as she does the reveal to Spencer of this mask, the mask that Hannah found, the mask that made the liars gasp, the mask that makes me gasp a little bit because it's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> but the mask is supposed to look like Melissa Hastings. Um, okay, I understand that that's what all the actors are saying. So we're just supposed to accept the mask looks like Melissa Hastings. Um it really doesn't at all. None of these masks really look like the person they're supposed to look like. Allie's mask, like all the Allie masks that are floating around town, to me, look kind of like the um, like the the baby doll creeper mask uh, that we saw with, with the burlap sack earlier in the Halloween episodes. But whatever. Uh, this is supposed to be a Melissa Hastings mask. And Spencer looks at it and they're like, oh, my goodness, did Melissa follow Allie there? Did Allie follow Melissa or did they go together? Um, I mean, great questions all. uh, And in fact, questions you might have wanted to ask the mask maker when you were trading info in exchange for Emily's face. Yeah, I actually think that the Allison mask does look like Allison. I do not think this Melissa looks like Melissa. This is this is this is a chip drive situation where they wrote the script they had the prop. Like 
And and what's so funny is that Hannah has to recognize that it's Melissa in the darkened, creepy shed and be so taken with it that she actually has to steal the mask. So this mask has to look a lot like Melissa. (laughs) And it does not. It does not look anything like Melissa. No, the the mask is like 90% lips. Um, So, I mean, yeah. 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 I'd I'd ask for a refund on this mask. You're like, I, I want my face back, and you need to give me, like, two other faces as compensation. <laughs> yes. I I want to trade my face back for two, yeah, two different faces. <laughs> two alternate um, faces, please. It's like trading, like, like trading cards, but with faces. <laughs> uh, so Hannah, yes, now she is teleported back home, uh, and she sees that her mom is home and hears the bath running. She goes upstairs, and they have this really sad exchange where um, Ashley is on one side of the door, Hannah's on the other, the water is running. We see the whole conversation from Hannah's point of view first. Ashley says that she is sorry, um, and Hannah says that it's okay and asks if she's okay. And uh, Ashley tells Hannah that she is fine and that she doesn't want Hannah to worry. Uh, The wall between them, I mean, it's obvious, but it's still really, really sad. We cut over to Ashley, who it, it's interesting. In my memory of this scene, she's like sobbing and like trying to cover the sobs with the bathtub, which I think is a scene that uh, I think that there's a scene earlier in the series where Hannah is doing that. Isn't there? Maybe um, like after Caleb leaves or the first or 12th time or something. Maybe. Uh, maybe. But instead, it's really interesting. The bath is running and but Ashley is standing, staring into it, fully clothed, seeming very deep in thought. Yeah, yeah, looking looking worried in the way that Hannah has looked worried for a long time. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Uh, over at the Hastings house, Spencer is looking at the apparently Melissa mask uh, when Melissa herself strolls in wanting a late night heart to heart. She, wondering what Hannah was doing at the police station, Spencer counters that Hannah was wondering the same thing about her. Melissa claims they're talking to everyone who knew Wilden. She wasn't of any help. She barely spoke to him since high school. Melissa then waxes nostalgic about all the people who aren't here anymore, whether Spencer ever thinks about that and about what it all means. Uh, Spencer tries to dodge this question while also like cleverly hiding the Melissa mask uh, under a blanket, which we're not like totally sure whether Melissa is meant to have seen that or not. I think later we're going to find out that she definitely did see it. Um, but Spencer tries to like kind of dodge this question and change the subject uh, as they wonder if other sisters have as much trouble getting along as they do. Maybe they're just too similar. Well, they're both secretly queer, so that's a point <laughs> in common, I think. Um, <laughs> Melissa calls back to their earlier question, uh, the one that Spencer asked when she wondered if Melissa had to choose between protecting Spencer or protecting someone she loved. What choice would she make? Melissa turns that question around on Spencer. Would she protect Melissa or someone else that she loves? Spencer has no answer. But actually, I'm going to say Spencer has consistently protected quite a few people above the liars. Like, for example, the cops still don't know that Melissa was in Allie's room the night that Allie went missing. Uh, Even though the other liars did want to give that info over to the police, Spencer has successfully protected that piece of information and even right now 
Uh, Spencer is successfully protecting uh, Tobey's secret about the RV. And also, Spencer is definitely not going to give this mask info to anyone else. So even though it's like kind of left to be an open question, or the idea is that Spencer would always protect other people above Melissa, I don't really think that's true. I think that Spencer has proven... Uh, you know, proven multiple times that she actually will prioritize Melissa, even if she doesn't always like her sister that much. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good point. Um, I, this scene is, I really like this scene because, you know, spent, it's like it's supposed to be pretty late at night and Spencer is tired. You know, she's definitely had a day. And I like how Melissa is still very much in Melissa mode. You know, her arms are folded. She's still got her perfect outfit on. Um, but there's this sense that spent like the veil has dropped a little bit for Spencer. She's not in, she's not in as quite as sort of sharp and sassy mode as she was this morning. She's not lobbing the, the barbs back at Melissa with quite the same fervor. Um, do you think that Melissa is trying to tell Spencer or talk to Spencer about the Bethany Young situation here? I think that it is possible, especially because Melissa is making plans to get away from all of this. Melissa is yeah. planning uh, to either go to San Francisco or London shortly. Uh, so Melissa is not going to be able to protect Spencer in the same way that she's been protecting Spencer. Uh, and I think that maybe she's getting towards that. But also, it's so sad to me when when Melissa and Spencer talk about, like, if you had to choose between protecting me or protecting someone you love, what would you choose? Because that's such a testament to the way that love looks different in the Hastings household, that it doesn't yeah. really look like love in the way that you feel love for your friends or your significant others. Like mm -hmm. love is about loyalty and love is about like keeping up the, the standards and love is about, you know, like, like, yeah. love doesn't look like supporting your spouse through breast cancer treatments. Love is trying to be so proud that you can go through it on your own and then breaking down to a kid at the club. Like, you know, sure. it, it's, it's a warped family situation. Uh, but I do think, like, I, I think that what Melissa really wants here, like, even though she's in perfect Melissa mode, I think that Melissa wants some acknowledgement of like affection or like you know like fellow feeling from Spencer they've both mm -hmm. been raised in this crazy environment uh and it's it's hard on both of them even if Melissa doesn't show that very much uh so I think that you know I think that Melissa maybe wants something like that and Spencer even in a retired state does not seem willing to give it yeah I mean it's so sad that they're the only two people, even though there are so many, you know, other mysterious, you know, Drake, Hastings, Laurentis children floating around. They are the only two people who know what it was like to grow up in their household. Right. And yet because of the way they were brought up, they don't like they can't relate. You know, they can't be on the same team. They've been brought up to be on different teams. Um, and it is, yeah, I do think that Melissa is, is seeking that here and also just maybe seeking, seeking loyalty beyond just sort of, you know, the Hastings code of ethics, like a real genuine sister loyalty here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah. It's really sad. And, and if Spencer, like if Spencer were willing to enter into that, 
I think that Spencer could ask Melissa about the mask, but she doesn't ask her because yeah. at this point, like they're not in a place where they really seem like they believe that either of them are going to tell the truth. It's true. It's true. So um, over in Emily's room, her phone buzzes with a hilariously photoshopped picture of Pam <laughs> behind bars. And I, I don't. There's not even an A message that comes with this. I don't think it's just literally like, oh, here's a picture. Here's one last torment before you go to sleep, Emily. Sweet dreams. Um, Pam herself knocks and comes in. Uh, she's just silhouetted. It's an interesting shot. Uh, to let Emily know that Wayne is coming home. Family Services has called him too. They're bringing in the big guns, Mr. Patriarch Wayne Fields. Um, and uh, clearly this family services thing is is going to be an issue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, over in A-Tag land, the black gloved hand is spinning a vinyl record of Dem Bones while looking at an x-ray of Emily's shoulder. Yeah, you know, A always has to do it with style, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, A literally controls the music. Uh, and also, when uh, when they were doing the vinyl record thing, I was like, I mean, does this A feel like a woman with this vinyl record collection obsession? I don't want to get into stereotypes, but <laughs> I had thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I feel very- like... I feel like this A could definitely be Lucas here, uh, given his penchant for massaging Emily. And also, he just seems like the kind of guy that would collect vinyl records. But that's only my personal opinion. We know that Prezra collects vinyl records. Because remember the scene where he was like, how about Super Tramp? And Arya and Wes had to (laughs) for being such an old man. Um, So Great point. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, so next like week is actually a number. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like there are a number of things in this episode that actually could hint at Toby ultimately being a, and trying to throw uh, suspicion off on other people. Like even uh, Melissa's comment to Spencer at the end here would be really interesting in the context of Melissa knowing that Toby is a. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly agree with that. And it could be like alterna Toby, the Toby he turns into when he clutches his head and hulks out. We just don't know. <laughs> just don't know. Um, yeah. And so next week is FaceTime, which we're finally going to meet Detective Tanner. Oh, so exciting uh, to have her enter the fray. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, oh, what are you going to say? I was going to say there's a weird parent combo coming up, too, because I think Veronica is in the next episode and Wayne is back. So that's like a weird uh, like there are a lot of parents this week and then there are going to be a lot more of rarely appearing parents who are going to see next week. Yeah. And, you know, the week after is probably my favorite episode title. Gamma Zeta die. Oh, man, I'm really excited. I'm I'm like I wish we could sort of skip this next one and get to Gamma Zeta die, but at least we know it's on the horizon. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what are your, uh, what are your final thoughts on cat's cradle? I mean, it's um, the season four so far has been somewhat uneven. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm eager to have an episode where the liars are just a little bit more invested in what's going on with each other for the plot lines to kind of meld together again. 
I agree. I, you know, I thought it was a really pretty strong uh, season premiere. And then these last two episodes have dragged a little bit. And the whole Hector Lime thing is just, uh, I mean, he's he's a compelling character. And, you know, God knows I love a mask. But, like, it's just not, it's just not, like, it, it's not the most compelling evidence. Well, the mask in the woods thing, like, this dude is super creepy, and the mask situation is super creepy, but it's very similar to the dollhouse. Like, they come up with this really interesting conceit, and then it just fizzles. Like, they just don't know what to do with it after it's been made. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, but if you have thoughts on this episode, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, yeah, we are, we're looking forward to, uh, to diving into this one uh, the next episode next week. Yeah. Oh, and do you want to mention the bonus episode that we're oh, working yes. on? Yes, uh, we are going to be releasing a bonus episode um, either, either yeah, probably on Friday night or this weekend. Um, that's a little tribute to uh, Naya Rivera, who played Santana Lopez on Glee. Um, she, yeah, this it's just incredibly tragic what has happened to her. Um, and I, I, Joanna was not somebody who watched Glee. I. Um, watched Glee and really was at the end there watched Glee for her character. Um, Santana was a queer teenager on TV uh, really at, you know, concurrently to Emily Fields and a really uh, important character uh, for queer fans. And so I just wanted to kind of do an episode because I, I know that, I would venture to guess that there are fans of our podcast who were also fans of of Santana and of Naya who are probably kind of in mourning right now. I, I kind of I definitely feel that way. So we're just going to kind of talk about talk about her impact, talk about some some great Santana moments. I've I've queued Joanna up with a list of different uh, episodes and performances to watch. Um, and yeah, we're going to kind of just celebrate what what she meant to people. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of, you know, getting into it in this way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, check out uh, or look out for that over this weekend. And then, of course, we'll be back with regular programming next week. Till then. Take care. Stay safe.